Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I cannot even wrap my mind around this insane series of charges against, you know, President Donald Trump. You know, all the headlines are like, he's in the fight for his life. 561 years in prison. He could be exiled. Actually, I read somewhere that he could actually be eligible for a death penalty. Now, does anybody on earth, anyone, even you lunatics who think that uh, Donald Trump's the worst thing that ever happened to this country, do you not feel as though the American people are being told that our governing powers could care less what we think? Yeah, do I care what Andrew McCarthy has to say about whether or not he can win re-election? I really don't. Do I care what the, um, you know, whether they're going to pardon him if they were to get the nomination that Vivek Ramaswamy has said, and I don't know, I think Ron DeSantis once said it, now he's not saying it, and this one is not saying it, won't answer the question, blah, blah, blah. This isn't going to end up being about, it's just not going to be about what the powers that be want. This is going to be about the people. We either take back our power now or not. And if we decide that we want this candidate, we can get this candidate. And then if the American people decide that they want him to be the president, he'll be the president. That's what this republic is uh, premised on. And so I don't want to have these stupid arguments anymore with people. I really don't. And I don't really care about all the naysayers. Of course, they, they get hysterically happy when they see charges, they don't bother thinking about what this means to this country and what, what it means going forward for anyone who gets elected. You know, today it's Donald Trump. But if this is allowed to continue, it could be anybody next. So, look, you know, I saw a headline today that I thought was fascinating. It said the de- Democratic... Uh, I, I don't remember if it said Democratic donors or Democratic voters. But either way, um, I don't believe the article. How about that? I, I barely believe anything I read anymore, but I definitely don't re- believe much, most many of the articles that I've been reading. And this one said that most Democrat, it just said maybe most Democrats. I don't remember if it was donors or if it was voters. Prefer Kamala over Joe. Really? I don't know anybody who likes Kamala Harris. I don't know any Democrats, well, except the lunatics in California like my son-in-law. Nobody likes 
Kamala Harris. She can't. She's incoherent most of the time, and she's done nothing. She's had accomplished absolutely nothing. Not just in her vice presidency, but in her senatorial or even her D, uh, state attorney. Nothing. Attorney General of California. Nobody can point to anything uh, magnificent, wonderful, or even particularly liberal that Kamala Harris is known for. So I don't believe that. I don't think Dems prefer Kamala over Joe. I think Dems prefer my cat over Joe. You know, I think Dems prefer me over Joe Biden. And now we're hearing all of these, I don't know if I believe this, but it's certainly a, a nice, salacious rumor to run, run with, and it was, in, uh, it was in the Washington Post of all places. And it said that a, the former president, Barack Obama, who, by the way, has his own problems right now, was at a private lunch with President Biden earlier this summer, and he uh, told him he was particularly worried about Donald Trump's political strengths, including an intensely loyal following. And then this is the part that gets, gets me, a Trump-friendly media. Even if you said a Trump-friendly conservative media ecosystem and a polarized country, uh, I don't buy that. Of course, what it tells me, though, is that Barack Obama is scared that Trump is a much more formidable candidate than the Democrats give him credit for. And this was a lunch that happened in the summer at the White House uh, when President, former President Obama promised current President Biden that he would do all he could do to help the president get reelected. Well, two things that tells me. One, is that M Michelle's not planning on running. So for all the people who go, oh, but if Michelle Obama runs, it's over. Uh, if he's made a commitment, not that he wouldn't lie either, but if he's made a commitment and gone to top Democrat donors and top Democrat politicians seeking to uh, bolster Joe Biden's chances, then trust me, Michelle Obama's not in the running. And this is, these two guys, apparently, who worked together in the White House for eight years, have lunch, you know, once or twice a year. Not that uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence will ever have lunch together again. <laughs> um, but look, the, the bottom line is that Donald Trump has a significant lead right now over Ron DeSantis and all the other, nom you know, potential nominees. And that's scary. You know, that, that has to scare Democrats because it's almost inexplicable to Democrats, right? They don't, they don't even want to be in the same city as Donald Trump. They, they don't want to be in the same country as Donald Trump. They want to exile Donald Trump. I mean, that was part of the rumors out there today. So they are praying every single day that he has no possible chance of getting the nomination. And really, since they can't seem to penetrate his support, they got to make sure he's in jail. They got to make sure he's, you know, on death row. They, they, they just won't stop. And it breaks my heart because this is destructive. In a country as divided as we are right now, to pit 
an entire party against a single human being is unheard of and it's unnecessary. Do you not trust the process, Democrats? Do you really not believe that the American people should be allowed to select their candidates and then select the winner of a race? Because that's what you're saying. You're saying that you cannot trust the Republican Party and that if they were to come up with a candidate who you can't stand, you will do anything within your power to stop him from being the candidate. That's really, that's so demeaning to those of us who believe this country is actually somewhat fair and that when we have a fair election, the people end up with the person they think will do the best job. Although you have a really tough time convincing me that that's how the 2016, uh, the 2020 election turned out. I don't believe that uh, the majority of Americans, I don't believe 80 million Americans voted for Joe Biden. That's just me. I believe he got 80 million votes. I just don't know where they came from. Doesn't sound legitimate or possible to me. So yeah, here we go. We got President Biden now getting the support of former President Obama, even though we all know that President Obama, Obama had said from the very start that uh, Joe Biden was a disaster. He was a disaster as a vice president. So I'm sure that when Barack Obama saw him faltering, that he told the Democrat donors and the Democrat bigwigs and power brokers, he said, whoa, you really might want to reconsider this. And then they all said to him, but everybody else is so flawed. We got to go with him. We think he can get elected. And see, that's a problem for all parties. When you go with the candidate who you think can get elected, what you're saying is, you know the American people better than they know themselves. How does that work? You gotta be careful. You know, I'm looking at all of these uh, stories about uh, our governor, Governor DeSantis, and you know, don't write him off yet, because I haven't. I don't think he's gonna be able to resurrect this incredible, uh, winning formula that everybody thought he had, especially a lot of my friends. And even in spite of what seems like insurmountable legal problems for Donald Trump, he still leads our governor by uh, double digits, large double digits, okay? And the more polls that come out, the kind of the worse it gets. He's always 17% or a full 37 percentage points apart. The only thing, the only grace in it is that all the other candidates like have like less than 3%. <laughs> so it makes him still look uh, like a potential. But this governor who was once viewed as the most serious contender that could maybe put a damper on President Trump's hopes of getting the nomination and then defeating Joe Biden in a one-on-one -on -one race for the White House. You know, back in February, remember DeSantis and, and Donald Trump were practically tied. People were saying, who would you rather see as the Republican nominee? And it was pretty much uh, me for Trump, you for DeSantis across the board. And that was important. 
but it was before two indictments. And now there's three indictments. So how has it changed? We'll find out. According to the latest figures, only one-sixth of the voters in, in the state of Florida are going to support him in the primary. So he's not unpopular, but he's, not, he's just not penetrating. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Among Trump's loyalist supporters, myself included, 92% would back him in a one-on-one -on -one race with DeSantis. That's unbelievable. And, and when you're presented with a series of words and phrases and asked to decide which candidate they most associated that phrase with, Donald Trump beats uh, Governor DeSantis in every area. Strong leader, get things done, able to beat Joe Biden, and fun. Now, on the contrary, DeSantis was found to be more likable and more moral. Guess what? Those numbers are diminishing, too. He may be a little more likable, but I don't know if he's any more moral. I really don't. Um, so that's what's going on. And now that I've talked about it, I need to move on. Because, you know, the indictments are now just fodder for various members of the media. I can tell you this, the American public, pretty unconcerned. I was out and about in the city of Dry Ridge today, out here in Kentucky early this morning. Did a little banking business and went to an attorney's office. And people don't even know what's going on. Or if they know, and I'm not talking about dumb people, I'm talking about bankers and lawyers, okay? They, they are pretty astute. Probably have some political leanings one way or the other and have those conversations with them. But uh, they were not, nobody was uh, sitting around going, oh my gosh, the former president has been indicted multiple times and it's like he could get 500 years. In. No, no, they were actually talking about uh, the blood moon last night, which I don't know if any of you got to see, but man, was that awesome. And from where I was looking at it, in this beautiful crystal blue clear sky, it, it was kind of, uh, not just impressive, but kind of spooky. Because, of course, there's reference to blood moons in my favorite book, which now they want to take out of just about every school, uh, the Bible. But uh, unbelievable how beautiful that was. And I'm here to tell you, more people were thinking about the blood moon, at least in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, than were thinking about the indictments against President Donald Trump. And if you want to know who's the preferred candidate in the state of Kentucky... By far, it's President Donald Trump. All right, which is probably one of the reasons I'm always so happy here. Uh, I've got to remind you to download our app, the 850 WFTL app, so you can participate in contests and you can hear all the podcasts, my No Restraint podcasts, and uh, Stephen Diener's UAP, and all the other cool stuff that we have on our app and on our website. So if you don't have the app, just go to 850WFTL.com. Let me take a quick break and I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. 
So I was reading an article out of the uh, Boston Globe by uh, one of my favorite columnists, Jeff Jacoby, and it was pretty interesting because he was talking about a notice or a, I guess a press release, a public letter that was released by the NAACP at the, and let's see, I'm trying to remember if it was at, at the National Convention it was actually released a day before the National Convention by the president of the NAACP chapter in Oakland, California. And it happened to be a letter by not just Cynthia Adams, that's who the president is. I think at one point, wasn't it uh, the, the Dolans, the, the, the chick who thought she was <laughs> who thought she was black, but she wasn't? Uh, but now it's uh, Cynthia Adams, and she writes this letter, uh, which is also signed by Bishop Bob Jackson of Axful Gospel Church, which is the biggest church in all of Oakland, California. And in it, they are imploring public officials to declare a state of emergency because of the exploding level of crime that's just devastating Oakland. Now, for those of you who don't really know Northern California, as well as unfortunately I do, since I have my daughter, son-in-law, and my two grandsons living in San Francisco, I've always said, and I tell you this all the time, that my BLM sign-carrying uh, kids in, Oak, in uh, San Francisco, live in San Francisco in an area called Sunset. And there, it's a very, I find San Francisco the most segregated city that I visit on a regular basis. I'm sure there are more segregated cities in the country, but as far as the ones I visit, you know, LA, Detroit, New York, um, Williamstown, Louisville, uh, Atlanta, the, the city, cities that I go to, by far San Francisco is the, mo is the whitest city I've ever been in. And then there's Oakland, right, which is sort of adjacent to San Francisco. It's across this bridge. And it is a very segregated city as well, predominantly black. And all of a sudden, the crime levels there are insane. And since the majority of people living there are minority people, they're the most affected. So the bishop and the NAACP chapter president in Oakland said that Oakland residents are sick and tired of our intolerable public safety crisis that overwhelmingly impacts minority communities. Murders, shootings, violent armed robberies, home invasions, car break-ins, sideshows, I don't know what sideshows are, but I can imagine, and highway shootouts have become a pervasive fixture of life in Oakland. So violent attacks and serious property crimes uh, in the eighth most populated city in California is a serious, serious problem. The Oakland Police Department, I used to know somebody who worked in the Oakland Police Department prior to their retirement. She, she was a female. She said there have been 15% more violent crimes than in the same period last year. 
property crime is up by 28%. In 2022, the aggregate crime rate in Oakland was 175% higher than the national average. And violent crimes occurred at a rate of 233% above the national average. That, in turn, followed the previous year's explosion in homicides, shootings, assaults, and carjackings. Crime is out of control in the city of Oakland. Can we agree on that? Because the police chief, or the guy who was police chief uh, prior, said in June of 2021, it's out of control. And they voted that month, okay, the city councilors that month voted to defund the police. Literally diverted nearly $18 million from the, the budget of the police department and cut 50 police officers from the force. So how's that working out for them? Well, two years later, it, it's, there's chaos, mayhem, murder. And even the local NAACP president and the city's biggest black pastor are pleading with the city officials. You know, just open your eyes and look around. African-Americans are disproportionately hit the hardest by crime in East Oakland and other parts of the city. They're under no illusions about where the blame lies. It isn't systemic racism. It isn't white privilege. It isn't out-of-control cops that have made Oakland so unsafe. It's the political assault on common issue policing. It's replacing the tried and true law enforcement practices with some kind of crazy ideology from even, even liberals like uh, Michael Dukakis say don't make any sense. This has failed leadership, including the movement to defund the police, including the DA's unwillingness to charge and prosecute people who murder other people or who commit life-threatening serious crimes. And this pro proliferation of anti-police rhetoric, it's like, if you're a criminal in Oakland Park, life has never been better. And that's what the NAACP letter declares. If there are no consequences for committing crime in Oakland, then they'll just keep committing crimes in Oakland. The DA that they're talking about is Pamela Price, one of these progressive and mass incarceration, uh, root outs, racial and socioeconomic and gender disparities. And instead of talking at all about the conviction of criminals, you know, when she's looking to evaluate a prosecutor's job performance, she wants to know how many, you know, people of color they have in their office. She doesn't care how many prosecutions they, uh, they put forward or how many they won. She had thought, she said peevishly, that she could expect more from Bishop Bob Jackson and the Oakland chapter of the NAACP. So in other words, what she wanted was for them to co-sign the destruction of a city which is disproportionately affecting the very community that those two, the bishop and the NAACP chapter president, that's who they represent. It's the people who live there, not the politicians. You know, the, they, they, they know what the president of this, this chapter knows and what the bishop knows is that the politicians making decisions are completely detached from what's actually happening on the streets. You know, 
but so far, so good. You know, they haven't done to them what they did to uh, Larry Elder when they called him the black face of white supremacy. They haven't done that yet. But it's coming. You know, each year, tens of thousands of Oakland residents are victimized in a criminal attack. Preventing shoplifting or carjackings or armed robberies or homicides, that's not a conservative or a liberal policy or goal. It's why governments exist in the first place. It's not racist, it's not unjust to wanna to be safe from crime. No one should live in fear in their city. But we're not allowed to have an honest discussion of why violent, violent crime is on the rise in these cities. So thank God there's a few brave souls, including this Oakland NAACP chapter president, you know, who'll stand up for the people and won't keep silent any longer. And I think more and more you're going to see that the people who are really in the communities, the people who really care about the communities are rising up and they're saying, I'm tired of your philosophy and your theology and your Marxism and all your white privilege uh, slash BLM slash whatever nonsense. Life on the streets is really cruel and we don't want to raise our children here. And they're forcing families to flee. Do you really think anybody wants to raise their family in a city where murder's up by 200%? You gotta be kidding. So they flee. And they can't afford to flee to San Francisco. It's too expensive. And so they flee to other states. And, uh, you know, with them, Flees tax dollars with them, flees young families. So you tell me, how, how do you think that's actually going to work out in the long term? It's not. It's really, it works out really well for like Florida and Texas and all the states where they're coming, but not too good for those uh, blue states that are struggling. Anyway, let me take a break. Stay right where you are, and I will be right back. Well, it's almost impossible to avoid talking about the indictments, but you know, I, I've seen some pretty interesting perspectives by various other people that maybe in the last segment I will get to share with the listeners. But I know this may be hard for you to believe, but there's a whole lot of other things happening right now that we need to be thinking about. And we have no, uh, you know, we have no place to turn to, for the most part, to get the kind of information that we used to feel pretty confident about with various news sources. I mean, obviously, some people preferred Fox and some people like CNN and all the rest of it. But for the most part, we don't got, we feel like we don't have anywhere to turn. And that's for the first time in my life. You know, I, I always felt that I had to be selective about news sources, and then for a period of time, I felt pretty comfortable with certain news sources. And then, you know, I remember when Drudge Report during the early Clinton years um, really became an aggregate website that you could count on and you could get like pretty fair representation of both sides of the coin. That doesn't exist anymore. Drudge is, a, you know, a sensationalist aggregate site where I don't think Matt Drudge has much to do with it anymore. That's my 
ascertaining of, of what's going on there. Because I'm looking at these headlines on the Drudge Report, and I'm looking at the headlines on the uh, uh, CNN uh, website, and they're no different. You know, they're all the same. You know, UFOs once took control of Russian ICBMs and nearly caused World War III. Now, let me ask you a question. If that actually is a, a true story, wouldn't you think that we would have heard this story uh, somewhat more frequently? I mean, this is coming out of the Jerusalem Post, and I think the story came, I think I was reading it yesterday, that Russian fighter jets once like, took a shot at what they thought were extraterrestrial life forms after a pair of UFOs nearly caused World War II to break out. This was in sworn testimony in front of Congress, this statement was made. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I think maybe we should have heard something a little more um, exact about that. That would seem to me to be a really big news story one way or the other, don't you think? And yet, I didn't hear anything about it until some headline today in the Jerusalem Post, which I'm looking askance at, shall I say that? Is that the fair representation? UFOs once almost started World War III? Holy Russian, uh, think about this. There were, there was a period of time when the Russians were actually carrying out the largest UFO investigation ever in history. It was like 10 years long, and everybody in the Russian military was involved, and there were all these uh, colonels and, and military officials who said there, were, there had been less than, no less than 45 different incidents where Russian fighter jets had clashed with UFOs. Now, let me ask you a question. Had you heard about any of that, that UFOs had taken control of Russian military equipment, that UFOs were whatever, flying over Russian Air Force bases and performing astonishing maneuvers? That's a pretty big secret that keeps quiet. And after all this happened, apparently the Russian Defense Ministry said, hands off, nobody talk about it, leave them alone. They may have incredible capacities for retaliation. So they actually came to the conclusion that these were, in fact, extraterrestrial events. Now, that's scary enough, right? But it also flies in the face of the claims that my country, the United States of America, has made about the UFOs since, since I was born, or certainly since the 60s. As a matter of fact, since 1969, our military has, their position has been that UFOs pose no threat to national security and are not even worthy of studying. They completely dismissed UFOs back in late 60s, early 70s. Now, that doesn't line up with documents and testimony that UFOs almost caused, almost caused World War II because Russian military had their weapon systems hijacked. So, uh, you know, the paper trail starts to begin 
to be looked at now. Why now? Well, we have some major investigations going on now with the leading two candidates for an upcoming presidential election. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump's got all these indictments. That's serious. And obviously, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has got the president of the United States implicated in all kinds of potential bribery and treasonous activities. And all of a sudden, the UFOs, we have to take them seriously. Now, I'm not casting any you know, aspersions against people who think that UFOs not only exist, but they're very dangerous and we have to do something about them. I, I, I can't say I believe they exist, but I believe there's some unbelievable evidence that's being withheld from the American people that we cannot explain certain things that have happened and that pilots have reported and citizens have reported. I tell you all the time. I had my own uh, UFO sighting and nobody was able to give me a substantial reason for why I saw what I saw in the sky when I was driving a motorcycle across the uh, seven mile bridge in the Keys. Now, they tried, they told me something about weather balloons and they told me something about Cuban radio signals. I don't know, they had a whole bunch of nonsense. None of it made sense and none of it explained what I saw and I wasn't alone. So the other person I was with, the late Rick Siderman, he saw it too. And nobody wanted to give us any real information. But now all of a sudden, UFOs, UAPs, everybody's talking about it. And the US government, which kept telling us, we will not talk about this, this is not true, it's not dangerous, don't worry, uh, we have security concerns, but uh, they're classified. All of a sudden, they wanna have hearings on the subject, NASA's uh, even launching an official investigative task force into UAPs, and I mean, obviously, some of this got kicked up when we had the report of the Chinese spy balloon that the, you know, that that could have been perceived of as a geopolitical security issue, right? Although they downplayed that. And then back in July, this former Navy pilot, uh, Graves, Ryan Graves, was joined by a U.S. Navy commander, David Fravor, and a former Air Force intelligence officer by the name of David Grush. I know a lot of this stuff because of what I've read in the Jerusalem Post and because I listened to Stephen Diener's You Unidentified Alien podcast. And, you know, all these guys testified that the U.S. government knows about all this, has been, you know, examining mysterious flying objects for decades and that they came to the conclusion that the technology that they were looking at was far superior to anything that we had. And that's, you know, sightings since 2004. That, that's the ones they were talking about, adding that non-human pilots had been recovered by the U.S. government throughout their UFO research, although he said he did not have firsthand account of any non-human or alien sightings and that his claims are based on extensive interviews with high-level intelligence officials. Okay, then we had the uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, who heads the Pentagon's, uh, what is the name of that um, agency? Oh my goodness, I used to know it like off the tip of my tongue and then they told me not to talk about UFOs anymore. And unfortunately I took them seriously. I think it was, um, 
uh, Anomaly Resolution Office. Here, I just found it. The AARO, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which was then put in place to study UFOs. And he said there were around 650 incidents that were being tracked by the agency. One of them was dated July 12th, 2022, which depicted a U.S. military MQ-9 Reaper drone somewhere in the Middle East. And in the footage, it can be seen monitoring a strange metallic silver orb-like object flying around below it at seemingly very high speeds while the drone's camera tries to follow it. This isn't the only time that this particular UFO had been seen, apparently. There have been a lot of sightings of a strange metallic flying orb in the Middle East. Now, I don't care what your thoughts are. Shouldn't we want to know what this is? Shouldn't we do a complete and thorough investigation? I mean, we got researchers in Stanford University, like Gary Nolan, He's not an astrophysicist, but he's been very active in the study of UFOs and UAPs because he thought that there was actually a, a alien corpse found in Chile. Hey, look, let me tell you this. I bring it up because I find it extremely coincidental, or maybe it's not a coincidence at all, that all of a sudden, with all of these legal pressures against both major candidates of both parties, we're suddenly interested in, are there UFOs? And, and, and at this point in time, we can't trust a government that doesn't trust us to even pick our own candidates. So what are all the secrets about? And what are all of these sort of presumptuous ideas about? I'll tell you what they're about. They're about keeping you looking at the shiny thing. And my job is to make sure that you glance at the shiny thing and then look at what's really going on and how it's going to affect you in your life. All right, don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson. Tomorrow morning we'll begin all over again with Jen and Bill and the South Florida Morning Show. And, of course, uh, followed by Brian Kilmeade and Dan Bongino and then me at 3 o'clock. So you stay right where you are because I have one more segment left. I'll be right back. So I, you know, I have to tell you that, you know, sitting here in Williamstown, Kentucky, where it's extraordinarily beautiful and extraordinarily peaceful, uh, the world looks very different. And, uh, and that's amazing because this is a very big country. And in all these different parts of this very big country, people live very different lives, which is why this republic is such a brilliant concept, right? What, what flies in the state of Florida or the state of California or the, the state of Michigan wouldn't fly here. So people here live lives according to their beliefs and according to the laws that are established by their legislators. I mean, obviously we all have to obey federal laws, but it's just such an amazing thing to me that this country is so diverse. That's all they ever talk about on the left, right? Oh, we need things to be more diverse. This is the most diverse country probably on the planet. I mean, if you go to Japan, everybody's Japanese, you know. If you go to uh, many countries, there's a uniformity. There's not separate 
governing bodies in areas of the country as large as we see in this country. But what it means is that people really live their best lives. Look, if you want the excitement of a New York, that's great. I, I lived there. It can be very exciting. I think the first time anybody ever goes to New York, they just stand around with their mouths agape. You know, I think if you like uh, the Pacific Ocean, you can go to the West Coast, and this country has beautiful parts to it. If you want to go to a desert, we've got New Mexico and Arizona. If you want to go to the tropics, we've got Florida. You know, we are definitely the most diverse country that I can imagine. We just are. You know, and so when they keep hitting me over the head with all this diversity, you know, inclusivity and, and all this nonsense, I just travel outside of Florida and realize where is there more diversity than in the United States of America? Nowhere. Not that I've been, I've been to a lot of countries and they don't have 50 states comprised of 50 very different lifestyles. You know, I'm in a completely different lifestyle right now than I'll be in on Friday when I return to Florida. You know, and then I'll do the adjusting again. And of course, that's home. So I'll adjust quickly. And in a couple of weeks, I'll fly out to California and it'll be a totally different adjustment and not a very happy one. But uh, I will be with my grandsons and that makes us happy. So, you know, stop buying into all this stuff. All the shiny things they keep telling you, oh, white supremacy and white privilege and this nonsense, you know, I, I'm, I'm in, you know, Kentucky. And I don't see any of that here. I don't see people worrying about it here. I see people living their best lives here for them. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock right from uh, Williamstown. And uh, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you. And may God bless this very diverse and very wonderful United States of America. See you all tomorrow at three o'clock. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.